Hey everyone, this is Peter Levin, and you're listening to another episode of In Good Hands, a show about the companies and founders solving our climate crisis. Today, I interview Man Mafood, founder and CEO of Replate. Replate is a nonprofit that connects organizations with surplus food to communities facing food insecurity. In other words, they go to a bunch of cafeterias at some of the biggest companies in the world, universities, campuses, hospitals, take all of the surplus food that would otherwise go to waste, and then donate it to people in need. And so in the episode, Mon and I will discuss what exactly inspired the original idea behind Replate, how Mon started as a one-man team, literally driving to any cafeteria that would give him this surplus food, packing it into his car, and then bringing it to local food banks. How he translated this original version one into a full-fledged platform with thousands of partners, food rescuers, and organizations that are ready to receive the food. The massive impact that his organization has had to date. And finally, how exactly they intend to share their technology with other communities and organizations that want to implement waste reduction programs themselves. Y'all, I am so excited for you to listen to this conversation with Mon. So without further ado, please enjoy this interview with Mon Mafood, founder and CEO of Replate. Mon, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. So Mon, let's start with the basics. What is Replate? Yeah. So Replate is a social enterprise, a B2B platform. And what we do really, we work with businesses from your typical campuses like Netflix or Snap, where there's a bunch of employees. We work with hospitals. We work with chain restaurants like Chipotle, uh, universities like UC Berkeley, venue spaces and events like the Golden State Warriors uh, Space Chase Center. So any business that have potentially surplus food, once they serve their food or have it in their storage, can potentially request a pickup on demand or schedule recurrent weekly pickups from us. Once they request their pickups for that leftover or surplus food, that we, what we call surplus food is that we connect it to a nonprofit in need. And these nonprofits also vary from a soup kitchen to a shelter, to a youth program, a senior center, really any nonprofit that can take our food and distribute it to their end users. Typically people experience, experiencing food insecurity or experiencing homelessness, or even just random families who cannot afford the current uh, food prices, given the current inflation that you're probably aware of. It's a very seamless process, just like you getting your Uber or your Airbnb, we make food donation as simple as that. I'd like to rewind back to the first mile. How did you discover that this was a problem worth solving? So when I immigrated to the U.S., say around what, like 10, 11 years ago, I came to San Francisco Bay Area and I was like super, super excited. I'm coming to the most advanced country in the world. We're creating solutions for everything and we can deliver cookies in 20 minutes to your house. So <laughs> why? And it was surprising mm-hmm. for me coming here that the level of people experiencing food insecurity or homelessness right across from the, I still remember. Right across from the Twitter building in San Francisco, you have people really digging in, in trash, looking for a sandwich, looking for food. That was a sort of a frustrating moment for me. Coming here and seeing that level of like advancement in tech and wealth and 
seeing people not having anything to eat. So for me, it was like an inflection point. I was like, why don't I do something similar to what I used to do? And I started looking into my cafeteria at that time. They had some food, like a buffet style. So I taken some of these runs to encampments around me and things like that. So really, that's how the that's how that came about from a food insecurity angle. And after a while, I realized the sort of food waste issue right now. We have, we throw around 30, more than 35% of our food, while we have around one in every eight do not know where their next meal is coming from. So the food waste issue came after the education piece about, okay, we're throwing away your food. You're also contributing to climate change. So how do you take that duality of the problem and create value? So that's what I focused on initially. I put together a, a website on Wix and I was the driver. The The story is very long, but this is basically where it started. <laughs> ben, you move here and you see this kind of strange dichotomy between people living their best lives along with people who can't even put a meal in front of them. Talk me through the transition from observation of problem into product 1.0. Yeah. So really product 1.0 was a very dangerous product because it wasn't very safe. It was very frugal, but I'll tell you. So basically I saw the challenge. I saw the issue and I just jumped in. I had at that time a Passat wagon and I basically in, in the cafeteria, like on my campus, I basically talked to the person. I was like, what do you do with the rest of the food at the dining center? And they were like, okay, we just throw it away. I was like, do you mind if I took a little bit of it instead of just throwing it away? He was like, you know, my our manager doesn't like that usually, but I will give it to you because it's going to trash literally right now. So I took these like aluminum foil trays and I took that to a small encampment and I gave the food there and came coming back. I felt so, it was so gratifying, like seeing how you don't have to spend money necessarily to create food. It's literally just picking up the food and taking it to someone who needs it. And it's there, it's available. You just need someone to just do something about it. And I think that's the product initially. Initially, the product for me was like, okay, I'm not going to sit down and start brainstorm how I'm going to create a business and like how I'm going to fundraise or is this what kind of business I want to create. It was just an action. And then I felt so good that I was able to impact that many people in a very simple way without spending things or like, it was an easy thing. So the next day and the day after, I th- started thinking about that feeling. And I started appro- approaching the same person. I was like, do you know any other cafeterias here you can connect me with? They connect me with another one. And then a caterer in San Francisco, apparently he knew a caterer in San Francisco is called Zero Caterer. I don't know. It's not very specific. But they, they got very interested because they didn't know what to do with the food once they deliver it to their clients. So the caterer will take it to, let's say, GoFundMe, right, office, and they will give them the food. And then the employees eat what they can. And then the caterer doesn't want to deal with the food after. So for them, it was like a great thing because, okay, I can come in and take that food and give them some nice impact metrics about who's benefiting from it. And I was doing it like for free in the beginning. And then I realized, okay, this is costly. Like I I need to hire more people with me. I can't be the driver, the person who's trying to land a client. And then I need to also figure out where to take the food. So I was like, why don't I hire another like Uber or Lyft driver with me who can do the pickups for these people? And when I thought about that, I was like, how am I going to pay them? So I was like, okay, I went to the client and said, would you be, would you be willing to pay for the service? Do you find it useful? They were like, yeah, sure. How much do you want? And I was like, I don't know. I was like $10 for the pickup. I thought, (laughs) so I thought $10 because I can pay, if I can do two pickups with a Lyft driver, right? then that would be like, let's say I can pay the Lyft 
driver and break even kind of thing for that pickup. And they were like, cool, okay, we'll pay you $10. And then they, it used to be like calls or texts or emails. And I was like, okay, this is becoming so annoying. So that's why I was like, let's create this Wix website and have a form that the client can submit. So I have the information, get sent to my email or immediately to my text. So I had to create links like Zapier links and things like where I make things automated. And yeah, so it worked out like that. I started with the Wix and then people start hearing word of mouth. This company, I called it a company, wasn't a company yet. And it was just me basically with a Wix website. And, and it's funny, I didn't have volunteers necessarily. We never relied on volunteers. I always thought of this process as being, we need trained drivers. We need people who are, you know, know what they're doing. We need reliability, consistency, safety, all that kind of things. So from the, from the beginning, I really wanted to build something. However, I was very frugal. I didn't have any resources, even to a level. I actually, I'm not going to mention the funder, but a funder in, in Menlo Park got very interested. So I had this meeting with the CEO. A guy was like, you, I don't know what you're doing, man. You're going to kill people. We're going to pass on that. But it's funny because that took me back to my sort of drawing board. So I brought in the right people around me, people who mm -hmm. studied safety and nutrition, people who worked in the catering industry in the past and engaged them in the mission. And the other person with me, also someone from, from Berkeley, an engineer, I brought in early in the day and he helped me build something that's more interesting than just a form that is easier for the clients not to always have to submit everything the address so that they it's more seamless for them to do it mm -hmm. and and then after two years from that funding opportunity i was presenting at a food waste conference in boston and someone from that organization saw me again and was like hey look you've gone big since last time we talked and we would love to have you again so the same CEO had a conversation with me and we got accepted for the funding for the portfolio. It was a major funding for us, but it was like really interesting that you're like, okay, there's clearly a value. Mm -hmm. I want to make sure mm -hmm. like, this is a value I'm creating. It's clear. And I am, I feel like I'm doing strides. People are calling. That means they need it. When you notice that moment of there's a need and you mm -hmm. realize there's more things like when you talk about food waste or employment or talking about people experiencing food insecurity, you're touching so many issues that is universal and they're so important. Like anywhere in the world, they need mm -hmm. that. Like until today, we get intercom messages from China, from Taiwan, from India, from Egypt, from countries that would like solutions like that. Because like you're saying, population is increasing, climate change reducing our ability to produce food. If you fast forward to today, if anyone goes to your website, anyone listening, re- dash play.org it's really a hall of fame lineup of logos here the most admired prestigious companies in the world use replay and i can see on your website you've recovered over 16 million meals fed over half a million people that is a wild amount of impact and so Walk me through exactly what the proposition is to the employer. I am one of these people that want to add a logo to your site. What's really in it for me outside of the feel-good nature of the opportunity? Yeah, I think that's a very good question. The question is always, okay, so I'm going to give you my food and also you want me to pay for it? It's got interesting psychology, but at the same time, it really works because I think there's multiple ways. And so we were trying to think about it. What is really motivating this business or this person who's representing the business to say yes to paying for moving food? So one, you have the businesses care a lot about PR, right? Public relations and, and CSR, corporate social responsibility. They care about 
elevating their brands to be a brand that people like, that people relate to. People care a lot about engaging their employees. Like even if you're a catering company or you're at any business of any sort, you're always competing for talent. You're competing for people to work for you. So if you don't have a company that actually has a culture of giving, whether environmental or social or anything like that, you're going to lose them a lot. There's also the idea of you have, you hire people to be your head of impact or social impact consultants. So you pay tens of thousands of dollars to come in and tell you how to engage with a nonprofit or in order to put a social media post on that and tell your stakeholders or investors, look, my business is doing amazing, invest more. So I think what we're providing, this is just one side of the equation, but there's employees will go back to their partners and say, look, today I saw that our company have relationship with a company called Repate, where there's people coming to take our food and donate it to our community. So there's a story, you become a hero, right? At work or at home. So we provide that. In addition to this, there's other incentives, right? For example, what you mentioned in terms of tax incentives, right? Not every business qualify for that. But some of the businesses do, and that means there's federal and state incentives when you donate food and file your taxes, you can potentially get some of that value back as you file your taxes. So that's why they do it. Instead of throwing it away, some people do it for the sake of not being able to deal with the food after it's, there's a lot of businesses don't have the storage capacity. They need to restock. So they don't have space in cities like New York or San Francisco. It's very expensive to have storage. So there's many reasons. And the last one I can mention for you is in California, they have this law called SB 1383. It just got effective this January. If you look at our website, you can see SB 1383, which means that businesses now will be penalized if they do not donate their food, if it's more than certain amount. So this is not becoming, wow. okay, it's cool to do it. It's not cool anymore to do it. It's more than that. You're required to do it. New York followed up with similar law. And I'm telling you within probably four to five years, every state will have it. Mainly because again, there's we're throwing away way too much and these businesses need to be accountable for their surplus. These are just some of the reasons why, but I think the highest one is the idea of the business. It's businesses need to jump on this wagon, right? The idea of becoming a certain business, certain brand that people, the new generation can affiliate with. So uh, I'm curious, I, manage or run the Netflix cafeteria. Yes. And I want to make sure that my unused food is being replated. So what does the experience look like for me? And how am I interfacing with the replate network? Just walk me through what are those touch points as someone who is the decision maker on the business side. Yeah. Yeah. A couple of stuff. Like, think about it just like signing up for, let's say, getting an account, any other sort of a platform. You go in, you go right into our website, you hit sign up, right? And then you can sign up either as a business to donate food or as a nonprofit to receive food. And once you hit, you want to donate food, then you have a sign up process. You put the name of the company, you put like the phone number that you would like to receive ETA to when the driver is coming to you. So you have, you can prepare and then you fill in, you make a username and a password and then you create an account. Once you create your account, then suddenly you'll see the, your dashboard, right? And that dashboard will allow you to create locations. If you are the Netflix, for example, in Los Gatos, you can create an, a location in Los Gatos. If you have two offices in Los Gatos, you can create two in Los Gatos plus office in New York. 
plus in, let's say, in Texas, whatever locations, you can create as many locations as you like. Each location, once you create it, it has its own dashboard. You go into that each location, you assign who's the manager for that region. So you can give that permissioning for users to come in and associate with a certain location. When you're in that location, you can request pickups on demand. Let's say you just got, you want to use replay today. You just have a lot of, you had an event and not a lot of people showed up. You can request a pickup within two hour time window. We can show up typically. This is the time window. Like let's say, for example, you would like a pickup between 4 and 6 p.m. So the driver will show up around that time. We call them food rescue. And if you want recurrent weekly pickup, you can say, hey, I would like replay to come in every day or Monday, Wednesday, Friday. You set it up the way you like. You add in each pickup location, you have information for the food rescuer, where to park, where the loading dock is, who to talk to. And they can edit what the food was. They can cancel the pickup. It's just a very simple, very seamless process. And then you can add as many locations and then you see your impact metrics on that dashboard. You can see information about the donation. What are you donating most of? So you have a lot of sort of intelligence around what is happening in these locations too. And you get, you pay your invoices from there too. Wow. And so what I find fascinating here is the value proposition to both sides of the network are very clear, but the challenge for Replay is trying to ensure that there is constant equilibrium between both sides. So yeah. if we double click into that challenge, to what extent is there ever a mismatch? You have thousands yeah. of pounds of food in theory. What if there aren't food banks and nonprofits that can take in the food or vice versa? So to what extent has equilibrium been a problem and how have you thought about solving it? Yeah, that was one of the biggest problems when we were starting. So we were like, what is it? I think two years, three years in, that was one of the biggest ones. Because when we started with that, it was like, do we fill the recipient's end uh, or the beneficiary end? Or do we fill the donation end first? And we decided to choose the, to fill in the clients first because we want to make sure the market is full. So that when we onboard beneficiaries or nonprofits, they're not going to be turned off. So you want to make sure that you have always food when the need is there. And then that was the challenge that we had sometimes food and we don't know where to take them because we didn't have that big network of nonprofits because we were focused on generating a lot of food first. The second challenge after these two years, we started building the network of the nonprofits. Once we have that trust, the nonprofits think, yeah, we're getting the food, we're getting good quality food, that makes sense. Then word of mouth and us reaching out to nonprofits with a similar sign-up process they get on our platform and there was more of that equilibrium happening. Right now, it's not as much of a challenge for us. It's most of the time we are able to, we have a very big network of nonprofits that build trust within us and have consistent supply. And more than that, we are at a spot where we developed like a matching algorithm where it, it we become an intelligent system where we can match the right exact nonprofit, even if it's not a well-known, maybe a smaller one, then it's not your typical mission, rescue mission, or St. Vincent de Paul or Glide. Mm -hmm. It's more of like your smaller shelters or uh, smaller youth programs. Then we can also touch on these nonprofits because we have a wide network and we have an algorithm that help make the most optimal match. That was a, mm -hmm. a, the challenges we have currently is mostly when the pickup is extremely big. Like we're talking mm -hmm. about, let's one time we got a request for a pickup of, what was it? Almost like a half a thousand pounds of kiwis or something like that right or like yeah yeah i know <laughs> was that like a grocery store where does that come from is that a grocery uh, I, store i can't tell you but but i had the same question 
when I talk to the team. <laughs> I have the same question, but it's actually a very common brand. You would, if you think, you probably get it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but it has a similar color to the kiwi. I'll give you that. I got you. <laughs> the, I got the you. Inside color. The inside color. But anyway, yeah. But uh-huh. like pickups like that. Like sometimes we have truckloads, pallets of cheese that we have to move. These are the challenging pickups because we're talking about like food that you will not. You won't imagine that this is waste. You won't. You won't. Like you. You have no. It's crazy, the sizes sometimes. And we do have to do multiple drop-offs when things like that happen. And, you know, transportation is expensive and things like that. That's where the challenge, but on an average size, like when we talk about like catered events or dining or cafeterias or restaurants or things like that, that is usually very easy to match. Your solution here is probably the most scaled version of food rescue I've stumbled upon. I mean, we've had food for all on the show. Which is, you know, yeah. kind of like too good to go, and and we've I've talked to a bunch of founders here, and you are by far one of the most scaled versions of the solution. Why did you decide organizing as a nonprofit was the right pathway forward? You might think nonprofit was the way and the only way. You might think mm-hmm. for profit is the way and the only way. But I, as you grow as an entrepreneur, I learned so much and I changed my mind on many things, right? I had so many strong opinions when I started. And I think I changed a lot. And I'll walk you through this. I think when we talk about wh- how, why we scaled, I think end of the day, it doesn't matter. You're a for-profit, you're a non-profit, you are a hybrid. I think it's the team and your strategy and how are you tackling the problem? When you mentioned other food rescue organizations, we in fact collaborate with them. We have an integration with DoorDash too. We, uh, we use DoorDash in the revenue share model. Wow. The rescue there is not very good from DoorDash because they're not trained as rescuers. They're trained mm-hmm. as delivery drivers, which adds a little bit of inconvenience to the flow. But we do have dashing capabilities, which make it useful in certain kind of pickups when we triage. Mm-hmm. However, what we rely more on recently is empowering other food rescue organizations. So when we have a client in Denver who wants a daily pickup, why do I need to hire a food rescuer or dash it? I can just make a partnership revenue share with Denver Food Rescue and say, look, you guys are doing an incredible job. This is your area. This is your community. Here's the client. We're going to be the user facing. We can share the revenue with you all. You do the logistics and we manage the relationships. Then you can Mm -hmm. use that money to build capacity at your nonprofit. You can maintain your vehicle. I think one of the things that I don't believe in, a lot of other food rescue organizations believe in the fact that we should rely on volunteers to do the pickup. Mm-hmm. I, from the beginning, I never had a volunteer and I will never do it because I was the main driver and I know what it takes. That's and hard. I know how expensive it is, the pressure mm-hmm. it puts on your vehicle, the gas, the maintenance, the parking, the toll, the cleaning. The I, I can't tell you how much it's hard. And this is just an example of how we scale. For example, we have partners in New York, similarly, so that we can actually empower each other in an ecosystem rather than come in and try to cancel each other. You see what I mean? That's the sort of strategy that we take when we grow mm-hmm. in certain mm-hmm. cities. Now, in terms of why nonprofit versus for-profit, look, initially the challenge was hard to, it was very hard actually. One of Even one of the funders challenged me so much with that question. We're like, okay, so I was like, look, if we're a for-profit, then you know, we can't necessarily think of, if our main earned revenue is money from these pickups, then what's our motivation to help the business to get towards zero? So let's say, for example, now I'm making a lot of money from this company, let's say Twitch, right? The game, they have so many offices, so much food and all of that. And I am, I am making a lot of money from Twitch. 
But I'm also helping Twitch know what they're donating so they can get to a point where there's reduction in terms of food waste and they get to a point where, you know what, there's no more money from this client. However, we feel good because we reduce the waste and they are now waste-free or very little waste at their location. So as a for-profit, how am I going to maintain that revenue? So that's one, one, one point to the nonprofit piece rather than for-profit. But at the same time, early in the day, I didn't think of other alternatives to that earned revenue, right? Like, for example, we can create tools that people can subscribe to to reduce waste as a for-profit from a waste prevention standpoint. So what I mean, like there's other revenue streams like that you can bring in that's not just fee-for-service that can maintain you as a for-profit, even if you want to act on the mission of reducing. So that's one element. The other element is there's food insecurity, right? If I'm a for-profit, then... My main concern is the businesses who are paying me and my investors who are waiting on the returns. Then how do how much do I care now an end user who's really benefiting from the food? Am I donation dumping now or am I really concerned about what kind of nutrition I want to bring to the person? Will I say no for a client who's going to pay me so much money to save the health of my end users? So that's, that's another point. point for the nonprofit piece versus the for-profit. But the line of for-profit and non-profit with time is also becoming blurry. You have examples of non-profits who are literally advertising machine. And I don't know, you probably mm-hmm. already know who I'm talking about. But mm-hmm. then you have other for-profits who are actually really good. And they have this B Corp stuff. And you can be very mission-driven with your investors and returns. I don't think it's really as simple as non-profit or for-profit. I think it's about the team. Who's your investors? So for example, I don't have a problem potentially to even have a for-profit arm or if I can inject enough capital to build my SaaS model, new software to actually make it all over the world. That's something I would do, for example. I don't have an issue with that. But I think the idea is you need to make educated, strategic guesses, not just based on the name, but on what is needed and how to propagate the mission or feed as many people and save the environment as much as you can. Yeah, I, I really like that framing. I think there's no better answer to the question than talking about incentives. And that really rung true in your response. I'm curious, uh, as you think about the future of Replate, you've already scaled the organization to a fairly significant level, millions and millions of gallons of water saved, tons of meals served, emissions diverted. Is the longer term opportunity, more locations, more scale around the world? Are you thinking about going upstream in the chain more before people actually make the food? Is there opportunity for replate there? How are you thinking about the product roadmap and the growth roadmap for replate over the next few years? Just to answer the question, I think numbers is not what drives us. Like these millions of pounds and numbers and impact all, this is not what really, I think, excites us most. I think what excites us is creating the right infrastructure, the right system that need to be done. I don't think we reached that yet. I think, yes, we are replicating our model different places, testing in different markets, but I don't think we got to the right system yet. And I'll give you examples. Like these numbers are great, but what does that mean? Like from, uh, okay, we just, let's say, recovered 2 million pounds, for example. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But pounds of what? And who is the beneficiary? So the question is like, how do we dig deeper into understanding what we're doing before we even go further and further? Is we, for example, building a feature on our platform, which is going to be released probably in a month or two, a breakdown of your donation. So as a client or a donor, when you donate food, 
similar to my fitness pal, it's going to break down what you've donated from a caloric and nutritional, like micronutrients, micronutrients perspective. That would be important because of the donation dumping problem. That would be important to understand. Like we've said no to many clients to work with us, just mainly because we want to be able to maintain that quality of food that we provide. Our goal is not to make the population obese or malnourished. You know what I mean? Because end of the day, if you're just answering for one side, then you somehow forget about the other side, which is the most important side, the end user. And for us, for example, we need to understand what is the donation that we're creating and what kind of changes in people's lives we're doing end of the day. Like how many people are using the same food at this shelter, right? Mm -hmm. How can Mm -hmm. we give them the opportunity to decide what they want to eat? How can Mm -hmm. they know if free plate is dropping off certain food at St. Vincent de Paul that they can actually, as a family, no, I, if I go to St. Vincent de Paul, I can get these burritos because I feel like burritos today. So I think there's these elements that we would like to work on, especially in the U.S. As we are replicating our model, we want to first, like I said, understand the value of our donations and what kind of nutrition we're building. And that's something we're working on. And the other feature we're also releasing is the Insight Engine, which is basically allow businesses to better understand their donation and how to get to source reduction too. Because again, We do think donation is important, but we also believe in source reduction. We don't want, if you are donating so many, so much rice for a whole month, you should be able to see that and order less instead of just keep doing that. So we want to give these tools to donors to also understand, to have more intelligence around what is the waste or what's the donation, how to basically manage that. And then also Mm -hmm. keep working on our matching algorithm to be able to send the right food to the right nonprofits, which we can consistently working to become better at because the better you can get that matching algorithm right, the more likely in case of pandemics or crises, then you'll be able to rely on, right? When things happen. Mm -hmm. So this is what we're focusing on right now from a product standpoint. However, we are piloting right now with our SaaS model, which is, you heard me probably mentioning that multiple times, which is different from the fee-for-service model, which is basically Mm -hmm. giving the software to businesses, to cities, to jurisdictions, and allowing them to use their own logistics and fleets to do that. So what I'm trying to say is like, similar to the idea of, for example, we work with Snapchat, right? In Chicago. And mm-hmm. they already have an office. They worked with us in Chicago. Everything is great. They have an office in LA that already have a relationship with a local church. And so they want to work with us there too, because they want a collective impact metrics for both locations. We were like, okay, we would love to work with you, but we can give you the software or we can give you the platform. However, you can still rely on the logistics that you have, which is basically the nonprofits you work with, or you can have your own fleet, right? If you have your own drivers or your own vans, then you can do your own thing as long as you have the the tools that we're going to give you. And that SaaS model we believe in, we would love to scale because we believe in giving people the tool to empower them to do the right thing rather than coming in and try to build from scratch at certain communities or certain countries. I think one of the challenges some of the for-profit apps have run into like too good to go food for all is if you look at the average merchant on the platform very often it's a bakery because if you just look Mm. at the type of establishment exactly and every once in a while it's great to get extra bagels or donuts but i think that's been one of the challenges is that you just don't get the nutritional diversity that the average person wants in their diet. And that's the beauty of the 
companies and the different partners you work with because they do have the variety. They have, quite frankly, like some of the best meals yes. that any yeah, person get. Look, remember when I was very poor? That was my meal. <laughs> so I know what it uh-huh. is. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I, I know these are like, like we're talking about 15 to $20 a head kind of, kind of meal. You know what I mean? This is, this is the tech office food. Even the snacks are healthy. Like whatever you pick up from there, whether it's food or not, I'm a big advocate of the nutritional idea because that would help people more, give the business more accountability, right? What are we giving people? Whether it's Feeding America or Too Good To Go or, or these apps also are more consumer, uh, sort of they like work with smaller restaurants mm-hmm. and more sort of B2C kind of situation, but we do more like with business to nonprofits. But I agree with you. It's just You just got to focus on what do you want to be and that there's room for everyone. Mon, can I pitch you an idea? Yeah. I live here in New York City. I'm in one of the 400 building portfolio that's of Reliant. They're just like one of the one of the big real estate landlords here. Yeah. And from what I understand, the vast majority of trash in someone's household is food. Right? Yeah. Effectively yeah. compostable goods that end up inside of a bag and are not composted. And so I've been thinking about this opportunity area. And with very little additional effort, because all of these buildings already have trash chutes, they already have staff that move trash from floor to floor, why isn't there just one more bin for compostable goods? Because the demand side already exists. You have Lowe's, you have Home Depot, you have all these people that already want soil. They pay for it. The market exists. But you have all of this supply valuable supply that's just getting sent to landfill. Yeah. So I'm curious, have you spent any time investigating that area? What, why doesn't something like that exist at the residential level that connects all of this food scrap with demand that will pay for it? I think this is brilliant. And we did, I don't think we, we dove so much into this specific area, but we have sometimes few clients who would say something like, okay, I, I would like also like delivery of compostables. I think from, when it comes to homes, there's one challenge from a liability standpoint. When you take food as a donation from homes, you can't do it in the U.S. So probably this is because you don't know how the kitchen is at the home. But mm-hmm. we're not taking this food to people. You're saying you want to take it as uh, soil. So you're gonna, yeah. yeah, exactly. So we take it to these places to get it all composted and get the soil. And you can even take it and sell it to the homes again for their plants or for their <laughs> backyard. I think that's a great idea. There's multiple things, right? Transportation mm-hmm. is expensive. One thing to think about that. Two is how many of these homes do actually sort things right? Probably there's certain areas, right? But a lot of people do not. I think there's a great, this is a great idea. I mean, SB1383, now you get penalized at home. Too, mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. California now, if you don't sort it, you get penalized just like businesses. Mm-hmm. So it affects homes now. So California is a great place to start this idea if you want to start it. <laughs> because I think it's a great idea. As a uh-huh. consumer goods, like I want some stuff from my backyard. Why do I go to Home Depot and buy this stuff if I can get it delivered to my home? Like from your home to your home kind of thing, mm-hmm, which is great. Mm-hmm. Some people do it at their backyard. Oh, yeah. The big bins. Yeah, yeah. These bins, yeah. They have in there. it smells and stuff, which is not ideal. But mm-hmm. some people are cool with that. But I think it's a great idea. So speaking of ideas, I, I do this in every conversation. I want to flip the script back to you. Um, you know, you seem to have really like a wildly creative mind. So my guess is you probably have somewhere in your notes app this, I, 
list of ideas that I've dubbed as the idea graveyard. Ideas you'd love to work on if you had the time to do so, but for now are just rotting away in your idea graveyard. Do you have one of these? And if so, feel free to share. So for Repaid specifically, I if I have the bandwidth and more funding, for sure, I would like to work on that area that I told you about, which is opening the like opening our back end to the public. Basically, having families who need certain foods know exactly where to go, at which pantry, what kind of food, or can even order an Uber to get them the food from the pantry. It will be like, think of all the surplus of food that lives in the digital world and opening it up for people who qualify for that food. Let's say these charities will give us some sort of a list of the population and then we can potentially make that food directly to that consumer. In, for example, when pandemic happened, where these people don't have to worry and line up in front of pantries or know exactly what they want, it's available, and they can just you know ask for it delivered to them. I love that idea. And then also integrating with a platform where we can understand what happens at the food when we deliver it to the shelter or the soup kitchen. Who are these individuals who are benefiting? Can we learn their stories? How often are they relying on our meals? Sort of understand, have more digitalization of the pen and paper some companies are already doing that, but I would love an integrated system that actually, you know, take all that into account. Where is mm-hmm. the food going and all of that? This is something that really excites me as we're building our systems that I would like to see. But other than that, I have so many ideas, man. I would love to start so many <laughs> companies, but and probably a lot of people do, you know. There's a lot of things. I think one, one, of the, one of the ones that I've been also thinking about is being able to label products online. I don't believe that brands will exist in 20 years from now. I think it will be more like products that have certain advantages, like what's your carbon footprint to create that product? Is it local? Is it seasonal? What's the damage this product created, right? I don't think you're going to have sushi in 10 years from now. I don't like, you know what I mean? Like in a cer- certain products of sushi, certain fish, it's not going to be available. So I think the future is not going to have brands and it's going to be depending on labels that qualify that product to be purchased. Interesting. Yeah, and I think I would love to create a company that that is able to quantify what each product is at this scale and allow people to filter in supermarkets or in grocery stores based on these tags. And like you can filter, I want the emission to be like one to five, for example, and that's the product that, w- that would be fine for me to purchase. It doesn't matter what the brand anymore. Mm-hmm. Is it local? Is it seasonal? What's the, is it, does the filter hit the, the emission and the damage? Is it? All that kind of metrics will get you to the product to purchase from these supermarkets. So I would love to work on something like that has that credibility and work with grocery stores to allow consumers to choose what they want so that then we centralize that sort of powerful brands and give people the right space, like the right companies, the right space they belong to, rather than being attached to a certain brand. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you could argue how many brands have we seen in the last few years lean into that exact opportunity, brandless, italic. They talk about the brand tax. When you put a logo on insert product category, that alone marks up the price by some artificial amount. So if you remove that from the price equation, then you could also, in theory, deliver products that were also accessible to a lot more people. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't think we're going to have the power... Because most of these brands typically fund the startups that's going to come up. Like, they're going to probably fight you down. Mm-hmm. But I mm-hmm. think, however, 
if you create a good product and a few supermarkets took it up, then I think you're sort of pushing them out in a way, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. unless they start re-innovating, rethinking what they're doing. And if I'm a major brand that people like me, I will stop. I will not have bad practices. I will try to focus on local products. I won't try to overproduce. Then I will fit in that filter so I can actually maintain mm -hmm. my brand in a way. I love that. Mon, I'd love to roll the red carpet. Anything that you want to leave with our listeners, the floor is yours. I honestly think I would just push everyone to visit our website, replay.org, and also visit Refed. It says the main partner of ours, and I think that really help educate people and businesses, really try to change the norms around food waste and what is surplus and stop calling things leftovers and really utilize circularity and when it comes to food, because end of the day, we need each other and no one company can do it all, right? So I think the more education we have for people and businesses, in terms of what food waste is and what food insecurity and why this is very important. And I think that's the most important thing. Man, you rock. Thank you for your time. Thank you for the work that you're doing. And everyone listening, go to replate.org, give the link a click and check out what Mon and his team are doing. Mon, thank you again. Thank you.